0: You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek podcast where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the international editor with Adweek, and with me, as always, is Shannon Miller, our creative and inclusion editor. Shannon, this is going to be a fun one.
2: I know. I'm feeling rad. How about you? (laughs) I'm
0: feeling uh, gnarly. I don't remember. (laughs) All the decades are blurs now. We are here to talk about the 90s. Everyone's favorite retro decade, at least right now, until, I don't know, a few years go by. And then it's whatever decade I feel like you identify with from childhood is always, uh, or if you have the most disposable income, that's who marketers want. <laughs> that's where the nostalgia is for the marketers. With us to talk about that is CBG reporter for Adweek, Paul Hebert, who wrote an entire article about this and why marketers are having such a hard time moving past 90s nostalgia. Paul, it's great to have you on the show. Hey, thank you. Nice to be here. And uh, as we mentioned, uh, you have a great article about this issue on Adweek. Uh, what, what inspired that article?
1: Uh, well, the new year. We just entered 2022, and one of the first things I saw was a throwback to the 90s. And I was just wondering, at what year will we enter nostalgia from the 2000s in the, in the 21st century? So I just thought about it more, asked around a little bit more, looked at um, you know how different... Uh, market research firms define different generations. When, when did Gen Z begin? When do millennials end? I know it's not an exact science, but um, going back to early '90s nostalgia just completely misses uh, Gen Z in, in terms of when they came on the scene, when they got thrown into the world. So, I was just thinking, you know, we talk about Gen Z marketing all the time. Yet here we're talking about nostalgia from a time before Gen Z arrived. And it just got me thinking.
0: Yeah, it's a great story. And it really, I've been obsessing over it ever since it came out and just thinking about this a lot. I, I feel like we should start, I'm not gonna ask anyone to give any specifics on age, birth years, anything like that. But I would just say, just for context, where where were each of you in the 90s in terms of your phase of life? I'm, I am I am not a young man. Uh, I'm in my 40s. Uh, so for me, the 90s were teenage years. Those were my high school and college years. Uh, so I feel like I was really drenched in, uh, nineties, <laughs> like in the, especially in the grunge aspect. Uh, but really, you know, nineties was me going into junior high and then ending with me graduating college. So for me, that was kind of where I was. Shannon, uh, how would you describe where you were in life in the nineties?
2: Um, I, I think my most formative years were the, the late nineties cause I was in middle school, um, around that time. So it was, it was an interesting thing because I of course, remember, and um, grew up during like the core 90s aesthetic that we see that's popular now. Um, But I, in terms of like when I was sort of, you know, entering, you know, my own and sort of figuring myself out or figuring out what I liked in general, it was like right at the cusp. So the sort of shiny, shiny era of the millennium or the new millennium was like, just starting to creep in. So there's this weird, like, gray area of, like, 90s, of, like, this, like, neon-tinged 90s, and, like, the silver era of the millennium that have clashed into something really, really hideous. And uh, it's it's so... Well, it's like the, the early
0: 90s are very much the late 80s. Mm-hmm. Like you see this if you if you look at TV shows around that era. I mean, you see this like if you look at um, uh, Seinfeld, right? Like Seinfeld those early seasons. Um, the you know even Friends, I would say there's a very 80s shoulder pad e kind of vibe to those to those early years. I feel like it took America and probably the rest of the world a few years to shrug off the 80s, and but then once you get into what I think of as kind of classic 90s, it's really. Uh, like it's either somewhat extreme or it's complete minimalism that I went back recently and looked at movies that I think of as definitively nineties, like the, that to me are like, and I don't mean like comedies or I'm as we record this, I'm wearing a Jurassic park shirt. Um, I don't mean like that. I mean like reality bites, right. For like, for Gen X, that's like the defining, uh, nineties movie, uh, Richard, Richard Linklater stuff. Um, I always forget if it's before sunrise or until sunrise, whatever the uh, that one is. You go back, you look at them, you could wear those outfits today, and it would be, no one would bat an eye. There's nothing weird about them. They are fantastically normal outfits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and yet at the same time, you have 90s uh, Janko jeans and like extreme uh, outsides. And I think some of this is uh, really about where you were in terms of uh, what ethnic group you're in? What communities you grew in? Uh, but I feel like for uh, at least for like white celebrity culture, it was very much this a pretty drab decade. So, so Paul, what do you think is it about the '90s that that marketers seem to embrace? Like when you see '90s marketing, like what's the thing that makes it seem really '90s retro?
1: That makes <laughs> it may seem. Um, I guess I, I mean I guess the the colors, the the style, the slang. Um, just the references to the time, and like like you are saying before, I think some of this is a little bit arbitrary in, in terms of when a what is '90s or what is '80s, because as we all know, 1999 is closer to 2001 than it is to 1991. Um, but um, yeah, but I think yeah, as as people have described to me, going back to the '90s, first you know, it's still it's still relatively recently, it's still hitting the millennials. Uh, right, right square in the jaw, but there is kind of this idea that once the internet arrived, the idea of mainstream media really um, it, it just dwindled. It fractured. It just like I said, there's all these other groups, all these other communities having more of their own voice, finding each other online, as, as opposed to being just limited to your geographical location. So I think in in some ways, there was still the '90s still had something that we all um, all agreed on or all were aware of were're all into the kind of more of the same thing just because there was just less less access, less less distribution. If you had a you know if you had a garage band in the 90s, I'm sure it, most people don't didn't get heard beyond their their community beyond where, wherever the band could tour. but now there's just it's just rearranged what people know of as or what people follow in terms of culture, style, um, music, food, just all of it. Uh, So the 90s, I think it was just, it's just easier to hit on because there is more, uh, there's just less mainstream, or mm, I think, you know, I'm getting There's just less things to hit on, less things that we all can remember.
0: Yeah, it was definitely like the end of the monolithic media media era, you know, Um, because yeah, everything fractured after that. Of course, the internet came up after that. Shannon, let me ask you a tough question here. Do you feel like the 90s... (laughs) is defined less in the moment than in like how we think about it now is it defined more by the cultural stuff that we were into the music The i mean the 90s let's be clear really a a golden age of music like and and i don't just say this as someone in their 40s like the if you were into rock you had some of the best rock written in our lifetimes if you were into hip-hop you have literally the best hip-hop written uh in all time uh, maybe someone disagrees, but come on. Um, so yeah, culturally, tremendously, and and it was also the end of the CD era, right? Like the CDs had hit their absolute juggernaut. The music industry was just throwing money everywhere, and so artists were able to kind of emerge. So Shannon, do you think it's do you think of the nineties more in terms of those cultural trends and what was popular, or more in terms of it was before the internet?
2: <laughs> that that part, I, I think that it was, you know. Back then, we were only able to really enjoy those things in our immediate communities. And now we have an opportunity to share that love at a much on a much wider stage. And uh, you know, again, like the thing to think about is like all of those like 80s babies are, are marketers now. So a lot of it, it's just going to back, going back to what they know. And so now you have people that are like, that didn't have power, of course, when they were like 14, 15, like, oh, I can make Jurassic Park shoes now. Cool. I'm going to do that. And now they're working at Reebok. And so that's how you end up with a, a Reebok line of, um, or Jurassic Park line of Reebok shoes. It's, we, all those people that you know only were able to sort of share these, um, what once felt niche loves now have an opportunity to make bigger connections, and that includes marketers. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I would love to say that it's all influenced just by the peak taste of 90s entertainment. Um, but I think a lot of it's just sort of like retroactively getting to really express these things that shaped us. And um, a lot of those people just just happen to be at the table at brands and, and agencies.
0: Something I think about a lot with the 90s is the challenges of discovering new things, right? For Because of the monolithic media culture, there were zines, and don't get me wrong, there was like an entire underground subculture for everything, but you had to be a like old enough and be like free enough, I guess, to really go discover those things. You had to be in a major city. Like if you were just growing up in the suburbs, you were pretty isolated and you really only had what made it, what percolated up to mainstream culture. And this is just a very kind of defining 90s moment for me as I remember sitting in my bed doing homework that was probably like last minute. And it was so it was like 10 or 11 at night and a Smells Like Teen Spirit came on. And it was the first time I had ever seen it or heard of it. And I watched it, and you have to understand. For those who didn't live through this moment, uh, music sucked. Uh, like like pop pop music was very, it was all very boy boy bandy, very pop. Everything on MTV had gone very soft. And then all of a sudden, this song comes on, and I'm like, "What is this? Like, what is it?" in the way that my parents describe hearing like Sgt. Pepper or something for the first time, it's like just my brain couldn't make sense of it, but I liked it. And the next day I couldn't shut up about it to my friends. I was like, stay up late tonight, like watch watch MTV. You know, they're going to play the song again. And, you know, it was those, those moments where you realize now like that stuff would percolate up in completely different ways. But I was really at the uh, whims of I don't know someone working at MTV to like decide what what would be graced by their magical finger to uh, to make it onto the playlist, um, and and now it's just so different. And I feel like instead you have curation, you have people trying to watch nine thousand things all being popular at the same time and deciding which one, you know, which one goes mainstream. Like, what it, who becomes Lil Nas X, <laughs> and who just yeah stays stays on the fringe?
1: Yeah, I think to, and to that point. I really believe that for nostalgia to work, something has to be scarce. It has to be hard to find. It has to be something that you might almost forget what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it smells like. Um, you know, what you're talking about, like you have to wait to to the radio for a song to come on. You have to hunt maybe store to store looking for a certain T-shirt or a certain uh, CD or something like that. Um, so I think that, and that's just not really the case anymore. I think things are... You can just find anything on YouTube immediately from any city of any era. And I just think that nostalgia doesn't work if you, it's just always around. So I think maybe that, and maybe that's why going back to the nineties keeps, keeps happening. Cause they're still like the last time before the internet, things were a bit hard to find a bit, a bit scarce. They were just. Uh, you know, just difficult to track down.
0: I, I feel like, Shannon, you and I have talked about this before, that there is there is broad nostalgia marketing where you just try to find ju- the Jurassic Park. Like you try to find the thing that everyone knows and that everyone was exposed to, and that's your Super Bowl ad, right? That's the thing that is just an inescapable cultural moment. But I really feel like the more fun, the more engaged, the more exciting marketing happens when people decide to bring back something that's kind of niche, right? Like and that it, like Shannon, not to put you on a spot, but can you think of any where either we've covered or you've just been aware of something that they brought back where you're like, oh my God, I'd kind of almost forgotten that. But that was like something I loved.
2: I sure can. I actually just covered it um when we talk about niche zaxby's uh recently released a commercial that um brought back the guy on the buffalo series from like 10 years ago and like there i have run into in the wild maybe two people that know what Yeah, i had is. no
0: idea what that was I, I still don't know what that was i feel like a, i've failed
2: you it's Guy on the Buffalo, it's really, it's honestly one of the hardest things to explain because it is is literally a narrative series um, based on like this old movie that is literally just a guy riding a buffalo into the wilderness. And this band uh, called Jomo and the Possum Posse would just (laughs) narrate what's happening on the screen to like this banjo heavy tune. And it is just one of the silliest like series I've ever seen on YouTube. And it's like, who would know this? Who would honestly know this, and be like, this would make a really great ad for a chicken chain. Um, but it appeared in Zaxby's and instead of Buffalo, it was a Buffalo wing. So you have this mountain man riding a literal Buffalo wing in one of the strangest ads I've seen in like three years complete with like talking woodland animals and it was just so fun because it spoke to a specific audience it didn't try to be everything to everybody and that's where a lot of nostalgia trips up where you just have vague frost tips and shiny materials and be like this was the 2000s and it's like okay but for who um this was very very specific and then recently we covered of course um The return of Cakesters, Oreo Cakesters, um, at the last standing um, blockbuster. They brought it back and um, made over this blockbuster with uh, movie posters based on Oreo Cakesters. So like the Oreo Cakester was like an action hero in one poster and a romantic um, comedy lead in another. And um, it was supposed to harken back to the early 2000s, back when cakesters first hit the scene. So,
0: I mean, who doesn't? Who doesn't think of their life in terms of where they were when Oreo cakesters hit the scene? (laughs) Ah,
2: I know exactly where I was. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: uh, It's 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 like the the what's the book where the guy eats the eats like the dips the cookie and tea, and then it like ignites like eight books worth of memories. Uh, oh, like uh, Proust or something? Yeah, yeah, it's the yeah. swans, swans way. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's like the idea that you eat a cakester and it takes you back to two thousand and three or whatever. But these are great, great examples of the exceptions uh, and how to to Paul's rule here of marketers having trouble moving past the nineties they're starting to, they're getting, they're like almost as you were writing that article, Paul, like we're like literally, I mean, the examples Shannon just gave are both from the last like week. Um, and it, it feels like, it feels like we're getting there. I really do feel like you wrote this article. I'm sure it's both frustrating to see people (laughs) doing are doing two thousands marketing, but you really like got at the point that it's, it's rarer than it than you would think it would be given that we are in 2022 uh you know 2000 is is 22 years ago
1: yeah and one one other point i want to make is that i think and i and i i side with one side of this than the other but the idea that nostalgia marketing just means referring to something that we all kind of know from a a past decade like um i i i just think there's a difference between a, a that truly strong feeling of nostalgia when you just get taken back to your childhood because it's something you experienced that was very personal. It was, just puts you in a puts you in the living room and on the floor or whatever watching TV. Um, versus, you know, like people really like um, you know wishing they were a knight in the medieval times or something like that. Like it, it really has to be. I think um, something that you grew up with and had. A childhood experience with, and that was again kind of the point of my article, making that Gen Z was not around for, for Crystal Pepsi when it when it came or when it went. Um, so I think that some people would would disagree with that. I think some people think you know just something disco in the '70s or something in the '60s we're kind of familiar with, vaguely familiar with. That's nostalgia marketing, but I don't think that has that same powerful effect. That comes from remembering something from your lived experience as a child. Uh,
0: Can we pause for a second? Not literally pause. I mean, just uh, (laughs) Shannon, can we address the issue of gatekeeping? Because now we're, we're getting into something that I think is fascinating when you see people who lived through a certain era, like for me, the 90s, you know, was my teenage years. And people are like so quick to gatekeep who can wear t-shirts from it or who can reference it. And you weren't even alive then. And I think that's just such a frustrating uh, kind of, I guess it's somewhat understandable, but it's dumb and it's regressive. Because we we all did this. Like we all grew up wearing things that we thought was cool. Like if I wore a Jackson 5 t-shirt, right? Like growing up long after the Jackson 5 had broken up, I just thought it was cool. And the, but I see, you know. People my age, uh, complaining because young people love wearing Def Leppard shirts, right? Yeah. They love extra large Def Leppard shirts, like tucked in. Um, and I, it for me, it's it's an awesome nostalgia hit. I remember calling into MTV every single day, voting for. Pour Some Sugar on Me to be the number one hit, which it was for months because of me. I take all the credit. (laughs) But, like, I see that, and I'm like, that's so cool. I went to pick up one of my kids the other day from school. Literally every kid coming out of that school dressed like they were in 1997, uh, you know, flannel and band shirts. And I was just like, that's awesome. I love that. Versus, like, the people were like, you weren't even alive then. You shouldn't be wearing that. That's a foreigner T-shirt. Do you even know who that band was? Do you even know who Toto was? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't really have a question for you, Shannon. I just needed to vent.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I mean, that's been a, a huge issue. Um, even going back to like when I was in college, like it, back when, you know, I was at Florida state, like no one, um, didn't like the, what am I? Oh God. Oh God. I just said Florida state. and I just had like a, a flashback that I really hated. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, just growing up in in college, I don't know of a single week where I didn't hear about a new '80s themed party. Like, no one <laughs> seemed to have any sort of um, reservation about really like decking out in '80s gear. And then you had that like little sect of people that like would see someone in a in a blondie shirt and foam at the mouth, like tell me Debbie Harry's security number if you're such a fan. Like it's, it's, (laughs) that's like nothing particularly new. Um, But what I, I think what's going to happen is if anyone tries that now, I think they're going to have a much harder time um, really getting away with that narrative because Gen Z is just very scrappy. Um, And, And in certain spots, very terrifying. And if they just like something, they like something. Um, But also... Well,
0: and and they can find it, right? right? Like, that's the thing is, I think part of this gatekeeping came from the idea that if you were in the 70s, you went to these concerts and you saw these bands because they were accessible to you. But Mm -hmm. like now, if a a young person discovers, uh, like if one of my kids discovers a band from the 90s they can go on Spotify and find all their albums with no problem whatsoever. They can deep. And within like two days, they can be experts on a band that took me 10 years to hear their entire catalog. Right.
2: Yeah.
1: And
0: like, so I, I feel like that judgmentalness of like, uh, is so ridiculous because young people really can know more than you do about a band that you
2: love. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I think that what's happening now too, is that like the younger generations are a little bit more keen on going back to the influences of the things of the modern stuff that they love now. Like, you know, I think it's that sort of nerdy zeal or that nerdy enthusiasm. Now I think is a lot more common um, than at least that I remember from, you know, when I was growing up where like, they can love something, but if they're like, okay, like, what was the like little Nas X of the nineties and might go back to a certain artist. I think that they're a little bit more, um, they're a little bit more enthusiastic about really looking for that. And I think marketers are aware of that and really tapping into that and making like I guess the best use of it. Um, but I think kind of going back to like the big question of like why are the '90s lingering? Um, so much. And it, a lot of it, like I guess I think just goes back to that class of marketers that are really like holding on strong. And maybe that is more of a comment on how ready this industry is to tap into like new talent with new ideas and that are ready to like, I guess, go forward in like the next era of nostalgia. Um, if we're going to sort of keep on this track. Um, yeah, I, I yeah it takes know. a lot
0: of it. T- takes a lot of humility as a creative leader to acknowledge that your era is is moving backward or like is is farther back in time than than it was when you were a copywriter. Yeah. And if you're an executive creative director now, you've got to have if you if you're listening to this like if nothing else, I would just encourage everyone to have the patience to hear out nostalgia ideas that are from 10, 15 years ago. Because to someone who's 25 And you're talking about an idea that was 15 years ago, they were 10, you know? So I think to some of us who are middle-aged, it's like, well, that wasn't that long ago. I mean, it was, it was for young professionals. Paul, before we end, I want to throw out a theory. I've been like half baking in my brain ever since I first read your article, which is what is it about the nineties? Like, what is it about other than just that's when some people were kids or whatever? I have a theory and I think it's flawed, but I like it is that the nineties were kind of the only safe decade. And what I mean by that is, I grew up in the 80s as a kid when I was firmly, I firmly believed I was going to be nuked by Russia at any minute. Like the books I read were about that. Like everything was about that. TV was about that. The Cold War was really at its scariest moment. And then at the end of the 80s, it all falls apart, right? The Berlin Wall comes down and you don't have this big, scary existential crisis anymore. And then in 2001, Yeah, you have 9-11. So in between those two, those two moments, the fall of the Berlin Wall and 9-11, you have essentially a decade where there was some hope. There was you saw a lot more activism. You saw the most activism since the 1960s in terms of environmentalism, kind of progressive movements. Uh, a lot of celebrities were really active in that space. Like, there was a lot of good things happening. Now, there were tons of problems. You know, I live in a city that was absolutely ravaged by the crack epidemic, by gang violence, uh, that took a very long time to get past. Heroin was an absolute uh, monster uh, that, the, you know, not quite on the Oxycontin level, but damn close. Uh, you know, sure wiped out a good chunk of Hollywood in the 90s. And so there were tons of real bleak things going on. But it, I don't know. It feels like it was uh, the one safe decade where there wasn't an existential crisis hanging over you.
1: Yeah, I think, and I've heard that said before. I think there's some uh, truth to it. I think that, I think it has more to do with being a child than it being like objectively universally safe. I think that's the more I've been thinking about that. I mean, there's, like you said, there's, there's bad things happening in the nineties too. There was, I just was looking that up too, you know, just from Rodney King, Oklahoma city bombing. There's like some, some terrible stuff happening, but I think just as a child, you're just more sheltered from that, more ignorant to it. You just don't understand it as much. Um, I mean, I guess that's why nostalgia works too, is you you look back to these kind of safe, happy childhood moments. Um, But, you know, apart from the the pandemic, which I think we can all say is, pretty uh universally bad (laughs) it's it's uh um not something that anyone's gonna look back on fondly but i think every decade has its has its struggles and has its problems um that but that as a child you just may not be as aware of it as as you are as an adult um that's kind of where i i
0: i hope so hope so for the kids right now (laughs) Like that's yeah. just hiding them from as much uh dire world ending information as we can is, <laughs> is what parenting is right now. Yeah. Um I wanna end on an uplifting note though. Uh Shannon, I'll start with you, not to put you on the spot. What is a TV show, a thing, a cultural phenomenon from the nineties that you would like to see uh rebooted? Living single that has not
2: Living Single, that's not very, even a question. Yeah, yeah. yeah Living single is excellent. the best um tv i we're not going to do a whole episode on living single but if we do i am prepared um because that was to me just the best era of like just really transformative um black television and just um good like ensemble television in general so yeah let's bring that back living single please excellent
0: i love it i love it paul what would anything you know from the 90s you'd like to see rebooted uh, that hasn't already i
1: I gotta think about that more i mean all the things that i wanted rebooted in the late 90s or 2000s from like a transformers movie or spider-man movie how how cool would that been i'm just a little bit tired of it now so it's hard for me hard for me to think back what i know thundercats They probably rebooted that already. No, they
0: tried that. tried that one good. I I was a comic book junkie. The 90s were famously this glut period of comic books where they were just selling like crazy. None of them are worth anything, as I know from having way too many of them in my basement. Uh, But that era of comic books is the MCU. Like everything we think of up until this new era, like everything that has defined the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe for the last years has been 90s comic books. And it's very much people my age making movies, <laughs> being like, oh, I remember this, remember this storyline from the 90s. Um, so all of those have pretty much been scoured by Marvel <laughs> to like make any possible show out of. Uh, I think I've mentioned this on a previous uh, uh, podcast, but I'll say that, the thing that surprises me hasn't been rebooted is Ally McBeal.
2: Actually. I mean,
0: Ally McBeal was such a, like, culturally relevant show in ways. It's a silly show, but it it, it went places that shows generally wouldn't, um, considering it was a show about a, you know, anxiety-riddled professional woman. Like, they went in directions and ensemble directions that were really cool. But I'm, I don't know. I don't know if I want it. I'm just like, we're rebooting law and order for the 17th time this year. I just feel like I'm a little surprised they haven't rebooted Alan McBeal. Like what's, what's color Callista Calista Falkheart, What's she up to? Like surely she's got time. So. Yeah. That was kind of, a, that was
2: definitely like a defining show for like young professionals as well. So it is, yeah, it is a little strange that no one's sort of revisited that pool. I mean, maybe that's like the one untapped pool that we can just sort of leave but I would also be very interested in seeing if she, in knowing if she's still seeing that that baby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the poorly animated nineties baby. Uh, I, I just want to give them credit for being ahead of the curve on gender-neutral bathrooms. Yes, the the they they famously make it writing the show. Uh, the the creators realized that there weren't enough places to have dialogues, like which is a fascinating thing to think about. You don't really think about it if you're not a scriptwriter. They were like, "There's not enough places." Uh, For us to have characters having these really interesting conversations and especially places where it can get really weird, like someone can walk in or someone can like be hiding, you know, around the corner. And so they made the bathroom of the law office uh, gender, you know, gender neutral. And uh, and that's where like 50 percent of the dialogues ended up happening in the bathroom. (laughs) I was just like at the time I was like, huh, a bathroom that both genders could go into. It's like I guess it makes sense. And then now, you know, it's like become a whole. Political, cultural conversation. So good on them. Uh, Amazing. Allie McBeal crew. All right. Well, this has been super fun. Thank you, Paul, for helping us revisit the 90s. Thank you. Uh, I'm sure our listeners, I would love to hear, if you're listening to this, I'd love to know what you think of, like, what's the definitive 90s thing? What do you want to see rebooted? Even if it has been, if it sucked, like, what do you wish they would come back to? They don't always get it right on the first try. So uh, drop us an email at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. Paul Hebert, thanks so much for joining us to discuss your story and how much it's gotten us obsessed with rethinking about the 90s and what 2000s retro marketing would be. Thank you. Shannon, always a pleasure.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Our theme music is by Home. This week's episode is produced by Al Marino and edited by Lane McGiboney. Uh, If you have not already, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they help new listeners discover the show. Uh, For Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we will be back next week.